Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. This is Hebrews 5, 7-9. When Jesus was on the earth, a man of flesh and blood, anticipating death, he offered up prayers and pleas, moans and tears to the one who could save him from death. Because he honored God, God answered him. Though he was God's son, he learned trusting obedience by what he suffered, just as we do. Then, having arrived at the full stature of his maturity, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who believingly obey him. Hebrews 12, 1-2, 18-2-4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Katie. All right, well, friends, before we dive into uh, the scriptures this morning, we had a pretty horrific set of news events happen in our backyard over this last week, uh, you know, with the attacks at the various uh, massage parlors around the area of Atlanta and also in Cherokee. And with that happening right in our backyard, I just want to take a moment and let's just pray uh, for the victims in that situation. It's uh, something that I wanted to wait for our kids to, to leave before we dove into, but to I think it's important to say out loud what goes without saying but needs to be said, which is that uh, xenophobia racism and all of these sorts of things are anti-Christ. They do not belong in the kingdom of God. God's heart is for the flourishing of the human community. And when we see things like what took place this week, it pains God's heart as it pains our hearts. And uh, particularly in this situation, we also saw that the the shooter was uh, a member of a church, a baptized uh, a baptized son of a pastor. And I don't say that to, to shame, but to say it is so important that we have healthy theology. Healthy theology that knows that Jesus offers us better ways to handle temptation than violence and uh, hurting other people. And so what I'd like to do is just take a moment and let's just pray for everyone involved in a really painful situation. Uh, these are the moments where the body of Christ gets to speak some of that better word that's been spoken to us. And so, Jesus, lives were lost this week due to a malformed understanding of who you are. and how we are to respond to life. And we grieve with those who grieve. 
we pray for comfort and mercy. We pray that you would draw near to those whose lives have been impacted, those who have lost loved ones, those who are in the pangs of grief. And we pray for the perpetrator of this violence that your heart would draw so near. That in a meaningful way, your kingdom may still find a way to bring hope in the midst of pain and tragedy. We know this was senseless. We know it's not a representative of your heart. And we know that somehow in the great mystery of our faith, you will set all things right, including this. And so in the meantime, help us, your church, to be your body to the broken and hurting ones around us. And those who speak a better word of peacemaking in this place that we live. Draw in your Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Amen. Amen. Okay, friends. Well, no good transition uh, from something like that, but it felt important that we address something that happened so near to where many of us live. And so uh, let's just take a turn now, and we're going to uh, get into the Word of God for this fifth Sunday of Lent. Uh, Katie led us through a couple of readings from the book of Hebrews, and throughout this Lenten season, we are talking about uh, the journey into our hidden hearts, what's going on beneath the surface of our hearts, what's going on underneath the veneer and the veil of daily life. We so often have uh, just our busy lifestyles, right? We're just moving through life, and sometimes our hearts are aware of a deeper reality that something's going on but we're slightly disconnected from it and it's easier to just keep moving through life than to pay attention and so we're asking God in this season of Lent to enthrone his truth in our hidden hearts all the places where we are believing those lesser words that God would enthrone his truth there we've been doing this by walking through a roadmap of what we call spiritual formation. Spiritual formation, fancy phrase, but it simply means that we might be conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And we've been breaking down that definition over this Lent season. We'll continue to do that today. But I know a lot of you were not with us last week. We had daylight savings and, uh, you know, gosh, I wanted that extra hour of sleep, so I get it. Uh, but I want to catch us all up, make sure we're on the same page. So last week, what we talked about is uh, uh, this idea that in the very beginning, of the story. It's so important to rewind to the beginning of the story. And in the beginning of the story, God created humankind in his image, in the reflection of his very nature, we were created. And so from the very beginning of the story, our wholeness has been associated with the image of God. There is something about the image of God on us and a life marked by union with God that has to do with our wholeness. And then, of course, that sort of life has been distorted and disordered and disfigured along the way by sin. Sin literally means to miss the mark. Right? So it's as if God has an arrow that is aiming toward an intended purpose, and when we sin, uh, both societally and individually, it is as if we are grabbing the arrow and bending it off of course. And so confession invites us to bend the arrow back on course and trust that God knew what he was doing in his aim in the first place. And so sin drives it off course, but then Jesus comes, and when Jesus comes, he comes not only to put the arrow back on course, to heal 
settle and solve the sin problem, but he also comes with a broader good news than that, and that is that he reminds us of the perfect picture of who God is, who God has always been. Jesus reminds us of who God is and then restores us back to that which we were originally intended to be created in, which is that image of God. So the breakdown at a very broad level is this. Created in the image of God, the disorderment and the disfigurement of that image of God, Jesus comes back as the perfect picture of who God has always been, both to remind us of that image and restore us to that image. And now we are invited to return to that which we were created of in the first place, that wholeness that is found in life in the image of God. And so uh, Jesus comes, and when Jesus comes, the fullness of God, Scripture says, dwells in him. Jesus says in John 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You know exactly how God is because you've seen me. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then he's filled with the fullness of God. And then New Testament spirituality picks up on this theme and says, not only is Jesus filled with the fullness of the image of God, but you are invited to be filled with all the fullness of God. That's Paul's words in Ephesians. And so it's as if Peter picks up on that also and says, I am praying that you would become a participant in the divine nature And this is a bold claim that the mark and the spark of divinity is placed on your life, on my life, in a meaningful way, and not just at a cosmic level, though that too. God's going to restore and reform the whole cosmos into his good plan. He's going to get the arrow back on track, but also he's got a plan for your life, deeply, individually crafted and tailored for the specific set of brokenness you carry in your life. Jesus has a plan to bring you back into wholeness and healing and vocation, back to how you were made in the Imago Day. And so you're invited in to the reality and quality of relationship that Jesus enjoys with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's mind-blowing. That we would be invited in with no reservations into the same quality of relationship with the Father that Jesus has. And so we are being formed. Life itself is spiritual formation. It is not the bonus package. It is not the add-on. We don't get to opt in or opt out of spiritual formation because life itself is forming us. So the question is not, do I want to have anything to do with the spiritual formation thing? The question is, what direction is my life already being formed? What's the recipe of formation that I have sort of set up, whether uh, in, intentionally or just implicitly in my life, that is forming me? What is, it direct, what is, what is the direction it's forming me into? And so we've been working with that definition that comes from Bob Mulholland, who's an incredible scholar on this. He's written a wonderful book called Invitation to a Journey that I wholeheartedly affirm to you. And we're using a lot of his uh, material as we go through this. And so Mulholland says that spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. We've been working on that step by step. So last week we highlighted that word process because we don't like process. We want to just get there. We want to arrive. We want to either like skip the journey or get to the finish line, but we're invited into a process. And then this week, we're going to talk about this idea of being conformed to the image of Christ. And we'll talk about that word conformed because it's an interesting word. 
we would probably typically default to the word transformed, but there's a reason that the word conformed is used, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to start with this idea of the image of Christ. What is the image of Christ? Because it's easy to go, oh, great, my life's being spiritually formed, and it's going to be, like, better, it's going to be more, more godlike or whatever, but not to actually think, if I'm being formed into the image of Christ, what is the image of Christ? Because it's so easy to make Christ in our image rather than the other way around. The invitation of spiritual formation is not to make God more like what we want him to be. It is to make us more like how God is. And so what is the image of Christ? And we could spend a life on that, but I want to give us some indicators to make sure we're all defining the image of Christ in relatively the same ways. And so I'm going to invite you for a moment. Close your eyes and hear this. Because if the image of Christ is forming your life into ways that are more selfish and more fearful, more vengeful, less God-honoring, uh, then we've got to hit the pause button because that's not what our discipleship should be doing in our lives. And instead, we are invited into becoming persons of compassion whose lives are a healing, liberating, transforming touch of grace upon this world. You are invited into the shaping and becoming of a person who forgives, a person who cares deeply for others in the world, a person who offers your life to God with deep trust, a person whose ambition is to abide moment by moment in loving, light-hearted friendship with God. To be shaped into the image of Christ is to become a person who is deeply honest, yet deeply merciful. A person who honors God through the pursuit of a holy life in the image of God. It is to be someone whose default way of being is to give yourself away for the healing and betterment of others as a form of divine grace in their life. It is to be interested in the actualizing of a right ordering of society and relationships. And so the image of Christ to your life brings cleansing, healing, renewal, and transformation into all unclean, diseased, broken, incompleteness in your life. It brings compassion instead of indifference, forgiveness instead of resentment, peace instead of violence, and openness instead of manipulation. You can come back to me. That is the kind of work Christ is growing us up into, that we may become mature followers of Jesus. That's my heart for this community. Not to put on a Sunday thing, but that we might be formed into wholehearted, maturing followers, disciples of Jesus for the sake of others. And now for some good news. Everything I just said, it's already in you. See, sometimes we get this idea that the image of Christ is this thing out there that we're hoping God will impose onto our lives from without. The good news is, it's what you were made in the first place, right? So what we're talking about instead is like clearing off the cobwebs and the dust and the dirt and the disfigurement of that image of God. We're clearing out the original brokenness and the original sin that we might find what lies deeper still, which is original blessing, original goodness. God creates your life and says, it is good. And you are blessed 
in God's goodness, and you are restored into relationship with God. And so we want that flowering of what is the deepest and truest of us to be coming more evident, more from the outside. And so it's not going to turn you into a clone when you're formed into the image of Christ. Instead, it's going to help you become who you really are. Our individuality is found in Christ. It's who you really were made to be. So, some tougher news. That's the good news. It's already in you. You don't need God to plant anything on you from without. Here's the tougher news. For this to happen in our lives, we have to release control. We have to release control. And uh, those of you who were married, your spouse will let you know that you have a control problem, even if you don't think you have a control problem. We all have control problems. In fact, I can guarantee you control is a major barrier in your life because it just is. It's a barrier in my life from the moment we are born. We are looking for ways to control our little part of the world. Right? We come into this world and we're looking for how can I find a way to get my parents to buy me the Harley Davidson semi-truck at Hobby Lobby. This is not an example from the weekend I just had, I promise, despite its specificity. <laughs> right? We're looking for ways to get our playmates to play the game the way we want. We're looking for ways to get the job we desire, to, to get the, the word of affirmation that we desire. We're looking for ways to uh, get life to be secure and perfect purposeful so that we can stand unaffected by the storms of life. How can I fulfill my agenda is the implicit operating criteria that we're functioning under. And so if spiritual formation were a process of transforming ourselves, I think we'd be good with it. In fact, most of the time that's what we implicitly think it is. But that's not what it is. This is not about us setting the pace and the direction and the intention and the limits of our own discipleship. This is us abandoning ourselves to God and saying, God, I trust that you are the master of life and that you can do in me what you desire to do. So we don't transform ourselves. We are conformed by God. God's doing the work, and our role is to set ourselves up to be acted upon by God. And so when we say things like, my spiritual life, my prayer time, my walk with God, my faith. I get it. Semantically, I get it. But if we look beneath the surface of phrases like that, what we're saying is we are in control of this whole thing. And God is saying, uh-uh. <laughs> I've got a plan for your life, and it's for your good and for the healing of the world, but you're going to have to release control. And so that's what Katie was getting at in our scripture reading, is that Jesus himself, this is mind-blowing, Jesus himself learns trusting obedience by the things he suffers. If Jesus has to learn that, boy, we have to learn that. Trusting obedience by what we suffer, and that in that and through that we are formed into maturity. This is not a simple one-time choice. This is a daily life of trusting obedience. And so to release control is a form of suffering because there is a part of your disordered self that will starve for oxygen when you take away the control. It will act like it's dying because it is. And so the cross is there for us, for those of us who are steeped in a culture of control, and we are, and I'll start to wind it down with this. We're steeped in an instant gratification culture. We talked about that last week with process, right? 
And so I won't dig back into it other than just to say that process and patience are not our favorite things. But we're, we're brought into uh, a process, a journey. We're also steeped in an information acquiring culture. We think that there has got to be another podcast, another life hack, another technique, another book, another guru who will show us the way. And learning is good, but it is not something we can learn our way into wholeness. Instead, all the information, even this very sermon, is simply for the sake of driving you back into your own life because it's not in one more book that you will find wholeness. It is in abiding with God. My heart is to drive you back into your own abiding with God because uh, we've all heard this all before, right? I run into people sometimes and they're like, I've been around the church for a while. I've heard every sermon there is to hear and I get that. But guess what? Hearing all the information is not the same thing as finishing all the formation. So find what God has more for you to take a next step into the formation of the image of Christ. I spent $33,000 on a master's degree in spiritual formation, and after I wrote the check, the first lesson was, you can't master spiritual formation. I was like, come on, guys. Can I get a refund? Right? But we can master information. You put the book on your bedside table and it does not read itself to you till you choose to pick it up and when you put it down, you're in control of the whole exchange. But formation, we don't get to master, we are mastered. And so we're steeped in that place. We gotta let go of control. The cross for us is that we cannot simply gather more info about God and apply it onto God. We gotta be formed. We're seeped in a do-it-yourself culture. You can do it. You and do. Right? These, are, these are words that we tend to default to. And of course, there's an inner relationship between God's acting and your acting. We do have a role to play in co-laboring with Christ. But God's the author and the finisher. He's the one doing the perfecting. And the cross here is that our role is simply to set ourselves up, make ourselves available. This is why we do spiritual practices. This is why we practice spiritual disciplines. It's our way of a means of grace of saying, God, I make myself available to you. I don't earn transformation. I simply set myself up to be acted upon by you. And finally, we're steeped in this objectivizing culture. And this is a big one. We have this implicit idea that we are the center of the universe and everything else out there is for us to grasp as needed. And it's at the heart of the first temptation that we can be godlike if we just take that one thing. Right? Here, if you go back to the Garden of Eden story, the funniest thing about it is like God made them godlike in the first place. They didn't have to take the fruit. They take the fruit because they want to be in control of acquiring and grasping that which they do not trust will be given. And so the cross to us is to trust that rather than grasping, we can see where God will lead us. Mulholland says this, that graspers powerfully resist being grasped by God. See if you can find yourself in this. Manipulators strongly reject being shaped by God. Controllers are inherently incapable of yielding control to God. Functionally oriented people have great problems being still and letting God act. Performance oriented persons have a powerful temptation to turn spirituality into works. And so spiritual formation then is the great reversal 
from acting to being acted upon, from being the subject who controls to becoming a person who is shaped instead. All right, so let's end with this. Next week's Palm Sunday. We're entering into Holy Week next week. The year's flying by. And we'll talk about this at length next week, but here's the teaser that I want to plant in your heart for you to reflect on until next week. The process of formation begins with a confrontation. And we're going to see how this plays out in Jesus' life, but the reason it begins with a confrontation is because when we are approached by a better word, a better authority, a better kingdom, the ruling authority that already exists within our own hearts is like, you're not taking my power away. That's why there's this confrontation. It's over the crucifixion of control because control keeps us bound to those lesser ways of being. We're aligned with these ideas like, I've got to live like this or else. We all have these lesser words, lesser gospels, lesser truths. And so the reason we sang that song earlier, your love speaks a better word, is because God has a better way for you to live, but to give it up is to recognize that I've got to enter into the unknown on this, right? Most of us are more comfortable with our brokenness than we are with change. So we will stay in brokenness to avoid the change. And so this week, here's what I want to ask you to do is reflect on the lesser gospels you're living under the burden of, where you are at stake, where you are not enough, where you must earn and prove and take. And then believe what Holly read in that Jeremiah passage, that there is a new covenant that is possible. It's a better news. And where in your heart do you hear that as a threat rather than good news? What's the ruling word calling the shots at the core of your hidden heart? Is it fear? Is it insecurity? Anxiety? Anger? What's the ruling authority what lesser words have you agreed with and lived in alignment with? And what is the truth? Some of you who are more artistic or more uh, verbal may want to journal this. Maybe you want to chart this out. What is the intersection of the lesser word I am functioning under? And what is the intersection of God's truth? And what happens when those collide? We're going to see that happen in the story of Jesus next week at Palm Sunday.